All right, we are in Luke. No, we're not. We're in John. <laughs> we are in John chapter 3. Um, there's nothing that you guys have ever heard of from John chapter 3, right? Kind of, kind of an obscure passage. Yeah. Um, all right. So John chapter 3, and Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Now remember the themes in John of darkness and light. So he comes in the darkness, right? And in the darkness, what does Jesus do? Well, he shines the light. He is the light, right? So in that darkness, now he encounters the light. And he's asking uh, about the kingdom of God. And Jesus tells him, you must be what? Born again. Or born from above. It is purposely ambiguous in the way Jesus answers it, where it can mean both. Because guess what? It does mean both. To be born again can only occur how? God has to do it, right? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gift, sanctified and kept me in the true church. So God the Holy Spirit is the one who has to bring us to faith. It is a miracle when someone comes to faith. Ever thought about that? It is a miracle. Because what are we by nature? Well, Ephesians 2, 1, by nature we are dead, right? Uh, Romans tells us that we are blind spiritually, that we are enemies of God spiritually, by, you know, by nature. Uh, so, blind, dead, and enemies of God. Not a great place to be. <laughs> And, and so if you are dead in sin, you are incapable of making yourself alive, aren't you? It has to be God who does it. God has to be the one who works inside of you, gives you a new heart, a new mind, uh, gives you new life. And, and this is, you know, Jesus talking about, you know, um, being born again of water and the spirit. This is also going back to Genesis do you remember how God creates Adam and how God creates Eve? From the dust of the earth, God creates Adam and what? Breathes into him the breath of life. And from Adam creates Eve and breathes into her the breath of life. Well, breath in Greek and Hebrew and spirit in Greek and Hebrew, same word right so the breath of life god gives that life to begin with now if we're going to be born again who's going to have to do it god is all right so this is not um real complicated it's just it's pretty straightforward from what scripture tells us we can't make a decision because we're dead god can raise us and give us new life because he is god uh, and that's exactly what God does in baptism. He gives us the Holy Spirit, gives us faith to receive the gifts that Jesus won for us on the cross, uh, breathes into us that spirit, the Holy Spirit. 
Okay? Um, so Nicodemus in verse 9 says, How can these things be? And what Nicodemus is struggling with is what a lot of people struggle with when it comes to the things of God. I don't understand. And if I don't understand, that must mean it's not true. <laughs> well, there's a lot of things that I don't understand that are true. And I don't need to understand them or even to be able to explain them in order for them to be true. And the illustration Jesus uses is the illustration of the wind, right? The wind blows. Can you explain all of that? And now in our modern day, we're like, yes, we can study the meteorology and see how the different, uh, you know, like, no, that's not, that's not the point, right? Uh, people in Jesus' day would not have answered in that way. They would have been like, yeah, the wind's kind of weird. How it just, it just does that. Uh, and I can't explain it, but it does it. Uh, there's a whole lot of things that we could, we could, you know, say the same thing. I don't know how it works, but it does. And uh, so Jesus is explaining uh, how uh, the Holy Spirit works. Okay, so then uh, verse 10, Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Maybe you shouldn't be teaching if you don't understand these things. Maybe you should be learning if you don't understand these things. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If, you have, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? So Nicodemus is asking for, like, give me the deep stuff. He's like, you don't even understand baptism yet. <laughs> Maybe let's start there, and then we can kind of go a little bit deeper you know, from that point. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So um, Jesus is here speaking of himself, right? He has been, you know, in the heavenly places and he has descended from heaven. Now, verse 14 is really important. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... So must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. All right, so that brings us back to the serpent in the wilderness. Um, you remember that account? What's happening at that point? So if you, uh, if you wanted to, to look back, you could turn in your Bibles to... Uh, to uh, numbers and go through the whole thing and uh, the the people of Israel are in the wilderness they're griping against God and God sends these serpents because they have brought this upon themselves they have they have sinned against God and here is this punishment that God is bringing upon them and they cry out for help and what does Moses tell him to do? What does Moses or what does God tell Moses to do? Yeah, make a serpent of bronze. You go, wait a minute, a serpent? Aren't those things the bad things? Right? You go back to Genesis chapter three, the serpent is the form by which 
Satan is at work to tempt Adam and Eve. Why would he choose a serpent? Why wouldn't he choose, I don't know, like what kills snakes, like a mongoose or something? <laughs> why, why the very thing that is inflicting this upon them, why does God choose to use that? Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting question, isn't it? Now we're going to get to an answer here. Uh, but it. Well. Okay. All right. So I think the answer comes in, in John chapter 3 here, in part anyway. You know, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. So in the, with the case of the brown serpent, right, if you look to that serpent after getting bit by one of these uh, fiery serpents, you will live. You will not die. Now, as the Son of Man is lifted up, what happens? You look to him in faith and you live. But why would, why would he compare himself with the, the serpent here? Why would that be the thing? I'm thinking something to do with maybe the scripture that he became. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 2 Corinthians, I do believe. Um, I had this written down, and I don't know where I put my paper. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Um... Let's see here. Yeah, five chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus takes sin upon himself. So when you are looking upon the cross, you are looking upon, in Christ upon the cross, you are looking upon sin itself. Because Christ has taken that upon himself. Now, is Christ sinful? No. But he becomes sin. Takes all of the sin upon himself. So that his, by his death, all of that sin, when he dies, it's done. It's already paid for in full. And so now, uh, the serpent becomes the, the symbol because it's, it's, he became sin. In order to overcome sin, so that uh, that symbol becomes all the more powerful. You know, it, it, I think we take for granted. Why? Why do we have crosses? They're nice. <laughs> no, no, crosses are horrible. Right? What happened upon crosses? Crucifixions, which are awful, gory, horrific, painful torture. Right. To be crucified is uh, to, to have your whole you know, body exposed and to be able to do nothing about it. To be bleeding and to have insects that are getting into those cuts and who are pestering you constantly and who are biting and you can't do a thing about it. Uh, to be crucified is to have the birds then come and to peck at you and um, you know, all of these horrific, horrific things, right? Uh, and so we, take, we kind of have, have gotten to the point where you see the cross and it's like, 
It just rem- it's just a, a symbol of you know comfort for us. But in the ancient world, it would first and foremost have been uh, a symbol of intimidation by the Romans. Now God takes that and he says, okay, nope, not anymore. Now this will become a symbol of comfort, a symbol of hope, because death has been overcome. Uh, the, the payment has been paid in full. Does that make sense? Okay, so as Moses, now here's, here's where also our, our Bibles sometimes do us a little bit of a disservice when they break things up. Because you get to John 3.16 and we just kind of almost treat that like it's our own thing. <laughs> and you get this break in there in between them. But this is a continuation of the words of Jesus. Have you ever taken John 3.16 as the words of Jesus rather than as the words of John? I mean, they're all the words of Jesus. Don't get me wrong, right? You have your red letter Bible. There, there should all be red letters, really, because they're all the words of Jesus. But, but what I mean here is you know, Jesus specifically saying them, not um, the Holy Spirit working through the writers of Scripture, right? So John 3.16 flows out of John 3, you know, well, going back to the beginning, but really, uh, especially John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that uh, whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so that's really one chunk that should be all kind of looked at together. Uh, So John 3.16, you guys know that one pretty well, I think. Uh, But it is, it is, what's the, uh, the old term for it? A gospel in a nutshell. It is the gospel in a nutshell. It tells quite well the good news of Jesus. You know, for God's loved the world. How, much, how did he love the world? Well, he loved the world so much he gave his son. So that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Well, God gave his son to what? Be lifted up. Be lifted up upon What? On a cross. Yep. I'm, I'm struck, and I, I have been, but as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm struck by the, the serpent being lifted up. And, and, you know, we watch shows on TV and Hollywood writers, you know, in 12 seasons, they tell us a story that is nicely wrapped up with the, the finale and all of this. But, you know, people who deny the story of Jesus, mm-hmm. people who deny... Christianity and the story of the Bible. There's no brain power in the world that could make up a story like this mm-hmm. that that ties all of these things together through the centuries. Right. And it's it's just amazing to me that that people can put so much effort into denying it when all of the storylines are there. Mm-hmm. And and especially you know talking about the serpent being lifted up and and you know what are the Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and the whole 
you know, so you have the, the tree in the garden. You have the, you know, the tree, the, you know, the, 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 the pole on which the, the serpent is lifted up. You have the tree of the cross. You have the tree um, in, in the revelation of the, you know, the fulfillment uh, and the leaves being for the healing of the nations. And so, yeah, you have this intercontinuity that is just throughout and uh, you're dealing with, you know, different authors separated by hundreds or thousands of years. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's only something God could have accomplished. Yeah. Uh, so if you look at our church and its transformation in the last several hundred years, especially, we've, we've eliminated, um, maybe not so much the Yeah. Um, we don't have stained glass. We don't have anything like that. Any, any Methodist, any evangelical church I've ever been to has nothing like that cross of nowhere. there. Mm-hmm. We never procession. Right. Ever, right. Or something like that. Um, what you have is this, and, and while God is absolutely love, you have a independent, almost individual, just piece of God is love, and we have this cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We don't talk about our sin. Mm-hmm. We don't see our sin. Yeah. So so much of that has changed. I mean, yeah. I'm really glad that when you have this conversation with Nicodemus and Jesus, that we start with the root issue mm-hmm. and why. We yeah. don't talk about the why. We just talk about the results. We so it's it is it's trans it's transformed our church. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Um, yeah. Again, we don't feel that as much here. Right. But it is that's pretty mainstream. Mm-hmm. Um, so. <laughs> Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. Um, if you look at, like, you know, you know, even just, you know, old Baptist hymns, okay? What are they filled with? Blood imagery. Uh, constant themes of blood and the blood of Jesus specifically. You look at new, you know, Baptist music and what's missing? There's, there's no mention of that. It, it's you know glory and glory and glory and glory. Um, very little about suffering. Very little about sin, uh, but overcoming and yes, yeah, th- those kinds of themes. Um, so it, yeah, you can learn a lot about what is believed by what is sung, and what is sung also then shapes what is believed. Yeah, and and the imagery. Um, when you get uh, when you when you do away with any imagery, um, that communicates things too, and that shapes people in different ways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Look at this, and you will live. How does that work? Yeah. <laughs> but um, looking back on it, we see like why God did it that way. Yeah. Like foreshadowing, and just comparing that to now, today, the fact that there will be many things that we don't understand. Yeah. But we can trust that, just like God yeah. had a purpose for that back then, He has a purpose for whatever it is now. Right. Yeah. That's 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 really important. Uh, that um, when we don't understand that we still trust and, and act according to that trust. Because really, well, 
the why behind it is ultimately what? The word of God, the promise of God. Why does this cross, you look, you look at, or not this cross, but you know, this, this serpent. Why, why is it possible that I can now look at that and I will live if I get bit by the serpent? Because God promised that. Because <laughs> he said so, right? So we have a baptism and you're like, well, how is it possible that God actually, you know, causes this, this, this person that I'm seeing being baptized to die and rise right then and right there, that God, the Holy Spirit, washes away the sins. I don't see any of that stuff happening. How is that possible? Well, because the word of God. God has promised this is what happens. And so he stands behind that. And even though we can't necessarily understand it or see it, it is, right? We come to the Lord's table. What do you receive? The body and blood of Christ. Oh, no, no, it's just bread and wine. Well, it is bread and wine, but it's also the body and blood of Christ. Why? Because God said so. God stands behind it. And not only that, really, really, I can, I can receive this and my sins are forgiven? Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? Because God said so. Uh, you know, one of our, one of our hymns, our, our communion hymns uh, for today kind of focuses on that. Uh, you know, what, what is this bread? And it, it's really, it's just teaching the catechism. It's just teaching the, you know, here's what the Lord's Supper is and does in a uh, hymnic uh, setting. Um, let's see, I don't remember which, which one it is. Uh, there you go, 629. Um, and, and one of my favorites is... Uh, the last two verses. Yeah. Yet is God here? Oh yes, by word and promise clear. In mouth and soul he makes us whole. Christ truly present in this meal. Oh, taste and see the Lord is real. Is this for me? I am forgiven and set free. I do believe that I receive his very body and his blood. Oh, taste and see the Lord is good. So you hear, you know, him the same thing it's reiterating what god teaches us in his word when he attaches his word and promise to a symbol it becomes more than a symbol (laughs) it becomes something that actually accomplishes what god has promised now if if moses had decided on his own to build this bronze serpent and told people hey look at this and live they would have looked at it and nothing would have happened they would still die because it didn't have the word and promise of God. But because there is the word and promise of God now, you, they look at it and they, they live. Uh, so we simply do what God has given and God does what God has promised. Okay. All right. So John 3, again, you know, God loved the world. Here's how he loved the world. So much he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish. But you still die, don't you? What is the, what's the distinction here? Eternally. Perish eternally, right? Do we still die? Yeah, and then we rise. So uh, this is one of, the, one of the reasons that scripture will speak of death as a sleep. You know, we lay this, this brother or sister in Christ, the, their body into the ground, and we wait because they're going to wake up. And they do. On the last day, Christ will raise the dead, right? I've heard that too. Born once, die twice. Yes. Born twice, 
Yeah, and that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, you know, you, you will all be born once for sure, but you're spiritually dead, so you will face eternal death unless you are born and you die with Christ and then you are raised as a new creation. And so now um, we live eternally. Yeah. So um, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So everlasting, eternal, never ending. Okay, so verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This, I think we overlooked this one. I'll come right back to you. Um, I think we overlooked this one because we already kind of think, well, yeah, we know that. <laughs> but the people that Jesus was speaking to initially, what did they think that the Messiah would come to do? To condemn the world. They, that Messiah would come in judgment. Now, there is a sense in which Jesus comes in judgment, but not, uh, that is not the primary. And when he comes to, again, he will come in judgment, right? But uh, in his first coming, he does not come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Now, if you say, okay, saved from what? Right? You have to, you have to not just assume what, are we, what, what is the world going to be saved from? Yeah, sin and its consequences, right? And the consequences of sin are separation from God, eternal death. Um, so Jesus doesn't come as the Messiah to, to kind of like round up the good and, con, you know, and, and punish everybody else because that just would end up with nobody being rounded up. <laughs> you know, if he's if he's coming to just bring the non-sinners, then he's going to come and there's not going to be anybody to, to choose from. Right? It's just him. Just him. <laughs> but he doesn't come in order to condemn the world, but so that the world, everybody, and all creation in itself, too, can be redeemed. Think about uh, the, the, the creation was impacted by the fall into sin there's going to be, what, a new heaven and a new earth. The, the world has been redeemed as well. Um, so that's the primary mission. That's the primary purpose that Jesus comes for. He comes for sinners. That's really good news because we qualify, right? If he came for the righteous, uh, well, we're all in big trouble because we don't qualify for that except when we are in Christ and he gives us his righteousness. Okay. Uh, slightly different tangent. <laughs> refer to himself in the third person? Yeah. Um, I think he refers to himself in the third person here because he is um, using that title as a means of teaching. So when he refers to himself as the Son of Man, we hear Son of Man, and what do we think? That means he's. Human. It's not really what it means. <laughs> um, son of man is a messianic term. 
it is a, a term that is used in Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, uh, and in some of the intertestamental um, writings that are anticipating the Messiah. So son of man is really saying the Christ, the one sent by God as the, the savior. So son of man here is not Jesus saying, you know, I'm God, but I was born of Mary, so I'm also human. Um, it's really him saying, as the Messiah, this is what's going to happen. Uh, so it's a, it's a teaching opportunity to connect his person with those messianic prophecies. And that was very important what you said just a couple minutes ago when you asked, okay, save the world from what? Right. And yes, eternal death, but it's also for the here and now. Yeah. Because we are, we are affected by our own sinful behavior and the sinful behavior of those around us. Mm-hmm. There's deliverance from that right now, too. Yeah, that's, this is true. Right. Yeah, so the deliverance doesn't just happen eventually when we rise from the dead. The deliverance has happened, and we can live in that, which means that we can start to experience a little bit of, of the, the peace of God in the here and the now as we interact with each other and as we forgive and as we ask for forgiveness and we seek to live in, in holiness. Um, yeah, it begins now. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that the world might be saved through him. So again, Jesus, um, through through whom? Um, Through his only son. So he, again, is using that term as well, right? So he refers to himself as the son of man and as the son of God. So it's always funny to me when people will say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. (laughs) Have you read the Bible? I mean, come on. Uh, and it's explicit uh, as we go in, in further in the Gospel of John. Um, yeah, he most certainly did. Yeah, no, for, for sure, Nicodemus is getting what, what he's laying down as far as that. Um, does he accept it? Well, maybe not in the, in the immediacy, but eventually we see... Um, he continues as a disciple. Um, so I, I think he I think he has grain like a mustard seed, or faith like a mustard seed, right? Like um, where it's like he, he doesn't get it, but he's, try, he's trusting. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. The Lord's Supper is better, uh, you know, received simply trusting the, the simple words of Jesus rather than trying to over-explain it. Um, you know, when we start over trying to, you know, explain all of the intricacies, we end up saying things we shouldn't say uh, and, and making assumptions, assumptions we shouldn't assume. And it's good to, you know, of course, contemplate yeah. the reason and all that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you do need to know what it is because 
uh, that's, that's trusting what Jesus has said. Um, so you shouldn't come and receive it if you don't believe it's the body and blood of Christ because then you're not believing the words of Jesus. Yeah. But um, at the same time, trying to overanalyze it isn't really what it's about. <laughs> you know, it's like, let's try to figure out how this bronze serpent works. You know? Because God said it. <laughs> There's no more analyzing to do. Um, you know, how is the body and blood of Jesus, you know, present in the Lord's Supper? Well, because he said so. He said, this is my body, this is my blood. So when you eat it and you drink it, you're eating and drinking the body and blood of Jesus. How? Well, because God said so. That's all. That's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, whoever believes in him, verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. All right. So we got that theme of light and darkness again. The light has come into the world. Yes, Mike, he's speaking of himself in the third person again. (laughs) Because Jesus is that light, right? Uh, The light has come into the world. And... People loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Uh, what happens when the light is exposed upon sin? What do people tend to do? Like, like cockroaches, right? We scurry to get to back to the darkness to try to cover it up because we don't want that to be exposed. But ultimately, that is the only way to be in Christ is all of our sins are exposed, and we're in the light of Christ, and we're like, yeah, this is it. This is me. I am a dirty, rotten sinner, and I deserve the wrath of God. But for the sake of Jesus, I'm forgiven, and I am no longer a dirty, rotten sinner in Christ. I am forgiven, and I'm made righteous, and I'm justified, and I'm sanctified. But you have to be in the light. And that means that your sins are exposed. And that's not comfortable, right? But that's necessary for us. That our sins are exposed. Uh, For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So then you come into the light and any good stuff you start to do is a result of... God at work in you. Yeah, exposure, yeah. Yeah, it's like Moses goes up on the mountain and he, he is in the presence of God and he comes down and his face is still radiating the glory of God. You know, as we're in the light, well, the light uh, causes us to then be like the light and to live in holiness uh, because we are being made holy by the Lord. Okay. Thoughts, comments, questions. Yes. John 
That's one of my favorite sections right there, yeah. Yeah, you have to just keep connected to Jesus. And, and yeah, if, if you, yeah, we have the, the, the one hymn in, in the hymnal, you know, I want to walk as a child of the light. And it's like, well, sometimes, <laughs> right? And sometimes I don't because I don't want people to know about my sin, right? Um, but, um, you know, ultimately, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can say that, right? I do want to walk as a child of the light. Um, in spite of the fact that sometimes I don't want to, you know, because the Holy Spirit is, is helping me to desire that and to want that. And, um, and yeah, being connected to Jesus, abiding in him is, is the key. Okay. Um, I got, uh, all right, I'm going to leave you with this. Okay. Um, I'm not going to explain it. I'm going to give you a cliffhanger. All right. <laughs> so John chapter 3, starting at verse 22. And this, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. Hmm. 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 Wait. I thought baptism wasn't instituted until Matthew chapter 28 at the end of his ministry. What do we do with that? Uh, well, we'll come back to it next week. All right. <laughs> That's right. Were there any people who were specially baptized by Jesus himself? Well, we'll see. Okay. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son, for loving us so much that you were willing to send your son into the world to be the savior we need. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that you were willing to be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness Uh, You were lifted up on the cross and you bore our sin and you paid for our sin in full so that in you our sins are forgiven and we have your righteousness. We ask that you would help us to walk in the light, that you would not, uh, that you would keep us from, from scattering into the darkness and trying to hide our sin and rather that we would come into the light, confess our sins and receive the forgiveness you won for us so that we can walk in the light, we can live in the light, and we can share the light of Jesus with those around us. As we have come to know Jesus as Savior, help us to to make him known to others so that they too can receive the salvation he won for them. In Jesus' name, amen.